0: The China Current continues its special coverage on the coronavirus outbreak. Go to our social media, at The China Current, and our website for interviews, videos and podcasts. I'm James Chow, thank you. For over half his life, Lawrence Lau has lived in the United States, mainly in California where he studied at Stanford and Berkeley. He returned to Stanford to join the faculty and became a professor of economics at the age of 32. In 1966, he created one of the earliest econometric models of China at a time when the country was still extremely poor. He moved to Hong Kong in 2004 as the new Vice-Chancellor of the Chinese University of Hong Kong and continues to serve there as the Landau Professor of Economics. I called him at his home to discuss the impact that COVID-19 will have on markets, governments and people and to anticipate the shape of the future. Hello? Hello Professor Lau. I'm James, how are you? I'm very well. How are you? Well, I am okay. It's been an unusual couple of weeks in Hong Kong where you are based. Tell me a little bit about what life has been like living with COVID-19. Well, actually,
1: um, you know, it's um, it's not so bad. Um, you know, the we are not... Socializing very much, and uh, and my wife still goes to work every day, every weekday. And uh, my office, which is at the university, Chinese University, Hong Kong, was just reopened this week, earlier this week. (laughs) And uh, so I've been going there. Uh, I went there a couple of times.
0: what do you foresee when you look ahead because of course you have vast experience you lived throughout sars in hong kong as well what do you foresee what do you predict
1: you mean in hong kong
0: yes and then we'll take it to mainland china right. and around the world yeah in, in
1: hong kong i guess the um i think it- the uh, transmission right if you and I don't shake hands if you and I decide we don't shake hands with anybody, that would reduce uh, the transmission rate
0: now when you look at mainland China where there has been a corner turned over there in terms of definitely, definitely, yes you would say definitely, right, new record lows and infections and also deaths
1: exactly, Actually, I tell you, the death rate, mortality rate, actually is not that high. Uh, if you really look carefully, outside of Hubei and Wuhan, the mortality rate is really quite low. Okay, now that's not to say (laughs) we should be cavalier about this, but uh, the honest truth is that People, very few people, actually few people die. I think outside of uh, Hubei, the death rate is actually less than half a percent.
0: And now they've almost closed the tap, at least in this wave of infections of cases outside of Hubei province. Not Hubei. But uh,
1: I tell you one thing that China has to stop doing, and uh, this is what I said in an op-ed, uh, that China should now get ready to become a blocking country, as opposed to be a blocked country. Because after all this, China cannot afford to have people coming in from the outside and starting the epidemic again.
0: Do you think that in a globalised, interconnected world, that that could truly work, though, that you can really stop infections by blocking people? Um,
1: Well, I mean, that's how uh, China succeeded, by blocking everybody from Hubei.
0: If we look internally at the national picture, do you worry about the gradual return of people to work so to refresh our audience millions of people went back to their hometowns for chinese new year happened to be chinese new year and this holiday became very extended as the government tried to control the spread of the outbreak now that they're going to be returning to work do you have worries about that well you
1: know the uh i worry about it and uh Shanghai, hey, why should I let someone from Nanjing come in here?
0: <laughs> and that's what the World Health he Organization be right. he has might been be saying. Anxious. Right.
1: But think about it this way. The worst that can happen is that this person is allowed in
0: for quarantine for 14 days. So, you, nothing wrong with it. so you think that even that we can travel, that we can move... But so long as we're careful and do it in a structured and in in an appropriately calm way.
1: Exactly. I mean, you know, um, people coming into Hong Kong now, uh, many of them are subject to 14 days. And uh, people going back to the U.S., even if they are U.S. citizens from the affected areas, they are quarantined for 14 days. No? You know, so I think that is necessary. And I would say if I were China, someone flying in from Milan to Beijing, I don't care who that is, but he or she should be quarantined for 14 days.
0: Could we look again at panic, you mentioned the word, and fear and anxiety, what will happen if? this fear, panic, and anxiety spreads around the world as this virus is already spreading around the world.
1: It, it already has. I mean, that's why people are buying on toilet paper and everything else, right? It, because, you know, it is is panic is a little irrational. And one thing I suggested that we might go back to is to have this uh, uh, WHO yellow booklet. You're probably too young.
0: But I remember, my, I remember having a book as a child, not traveling with it, but having a record from my GP. Exactly.
1: But we used to have travel with it. It's a yellow booklet, and then you have you know, smallpox, vaccination, cholera, inoculation, yellow fever, etc. It's all recorded, and as a date, and you have to keep them up to date. Um, and when you cross borders, you have to show it. You know, and if you haven't had a smallpox uh, vaccination, you can go in, period. It's that simple. Now, I think we actually can do it in a much more civilized way. And that's the following. You see, we can go through an antigen test. That is people would, you know, take some blood and then say, okay, do you have antibodies against uh, uh, coronavirus, <laughs> right? Now, if I've been sick with the virus and then I uh, was cured, I would have antibodies. No, so you have a certificate. You have uh, in a in a digital way. You know, they're saying, they, "Oh, Professor Lau has antigens against you know, A, B, and C." No, then you know when you go past the passport control, they look at it and they say, "They wave me past." If you don't have it. You have a choice, we can send you back on the same plane or you can undergo 14-day uh, quarantine.
0: Do you worry though that that could then not only restrict people's movement, but restrict the ability, for example, for trade and commerce?
1: It might, but think of it this way. Trade and commerce was, was going on in those days. See? it would
0: really put a crimp on tourism. Let's look at the economy in more detail because, of course, you are a globally recognised economist. China is churning out products for 1.4 billion consumers at home and for billions more outside. Is there going to be any long-term impact from COVID-19?
1: it actually doesn't come solely from COVID-19 all right think about the tariffs right so let's say you've been buying let's say uh, stuffed animals (laughs) from China okay all of a sudden subject to 25% tariff what are you going to do
0: you think twice you think three times
1: thing is that every time we have something like this, or a natural disaster, or a earthquake, tsunami, or epidemic, you think that you ought to have a second source. No one should have only a single source.
0: Will okay. this then make China less competitive?
1: It, it, no, I think China might even have to be even more competitive. Right, but. The second source is necessary. I mean, think of China, from China's point of view. Okay, Um, the US is threatening not to sell uh, semiconductors, advanced semiconductors to Huawei and so forth. Okay, so what is Huawei gonna do? It will have to develop a second source.
0: So these were some of the points that came up in a recent piece that you wrote yeah. For China-US focus, and I believe if I remember correctly, you described this as a new era of globalization.
1: Exactly, exactly, exactly. So it has to be a diversified form of globalization because it's too risky. I mean, I mean, presumably, the U.S. can supply half of uh, the pork that China wants to import, right? But uh, okay you can supply all of it, but you don't want it to supply all of it because you don't want it to be interrupted. Maybe a swine uh, epidemic, right? Maybe, uh, you know, maybe the uh, there's a squabble and you want to put in tariffs on US goods. All sorts of reasons why everybody should actually try to get a second source for everything.
0: So COVID-19, and other factors around it, or separate, you think are an opportunity for people and countries and economies to actually improve and strengthen themselves for the long term. Right, exactly. No, no, we
1: think about it this way: if you have a second source, you are stronger, not weaker. No, <laughs> right. Okay, I mean, you have to see through. That is, if you have a second source, I mean, we take. If you import all your oil from Saudi Arabia, it might be cheaper, but if something happens, you're not going to have any oil.
0: That's very interesting.
1: Right? So you don't want to have all, you want to have a second, at least a second source, or maybe a fifth source. I have nothing against a third or fourth source,
0: but you have to have at least a second source. And in the laws of economics, you actually. Diversifying and expanding competition, which is also good for the consumer, because there's more choice. Very good. Because the other thing you think about,
1: James, the following: if you have a second source, both sources will have to compete
0: for your business. So, in theory, you could drive up quality while also keeping prices competitive with one another.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No. Let me give you another example. If there were no Airbus, what do you think would happen to the 737 MAX 8?
0: They'll stay up in the airs.
1: Exactly. (laughs) So having a second source is actually great for consumers around the world. It really is.
0: Can we look quickly at the markets? We saw governments react very strongly and for me this is quite disappointing but perhaps i'm just naive they seem to be more shocked by the movement in the markets than they were by the numbers of new infections and deaths around the world the stock market is very sensitive in terms of the response as well what do you foresee for the markets going ahead um the market is
1: for the past year or so they were relying primarily on the Federal Reserve Board maintaining a low interest rate and that is actually what's been keeping the uh, asset prices up not You know, I mean so. I think actually China has actually done very well this time. I mean, the only thing I could say, criticize China is that it probably ought to have done what it did, you know, a couple of weeks earlier, right? But fundamentally, it's been very successful. It has brought down the number of newly confirmed cases, uh, you know, relatively fast, and has confined the uh, most serious problems in Hubei by locking down, uh, by closing the province and locking down uh, the cities. Uh, I think that is just phenomenal. Now, I actually have doubts whether other governments have the same administrative ability or the social discipline to be able to do the same thing.
0: In theory, I would be more worried about the... Countries where there are less strong health systems, for the logical reasons, but I worry yeah. also about first world countries because um, their health systems have to deliver exactly. on regular health needs anyway, and then you're throwing on on top of that an emergency. Exactly. Oh, you're right. I, I am very, very worried about Iran. Um, I think it's going to be a humanitarian. And why do you single that population?
1: Well, because I think Iran has, um, um, what what can I say? I mean, I think Iran is not a high-income country, number one. So uh, I I think their uh, medical facilities are probably, uh, I would probably put it below China. Not that China has very high sentence. There Chinese And and I think the uh, I think
0: that is really very worrisome. Right? Uh, India too, for that matter. If, it's I'll bring India, um, the Ebola outbreak in West Africa killed actually more than ten thousand. I was surprised to read the other day because I thought India, of all countries, would be brilliantly placed in an outbreak because it's the biggest manufacturer of generic medicines. But I read the other day that most of its components and ingredients still come from China. I think 70% of those ingredients.
1: (laughs) Right, the the basic ingredients for a lot of drugs. But anyhow, um, I'm actually worried about people getting sick. I think the production can be restored really relatively uh, quickly, I think given a month or two, um, you know, I mean, you, you mentioned the migrant laborers returning, that is a big problem, but I think it's a soluble problem. The government, Chinese government should simply say, okay, um, you have to let everybody in, you can quarantine for 14 days if you want
0: to, to every local government. That's, that's the way it's going to be. May I ask you a different question and one based on a personal experience? I have many friends who either run or who are part of foreign owned businesses in mainland China today, retail businesses, food and beverage, for example, what advice would you give to them? Because not only do they face the same challenges as local Chinese owned businesses, but, of course, they're not qualified to apply for bank loans and other such benefits being foreign-owned. Should they stay in China beyond these few months, even if they can afford to keep up the salaries and the rents? Now, uh, I, I would say this. see, if I'm running a business in Hong Kong, but I think the same applies, I would tell my
1: employees, hey, hey, we don't have any business. So either we all take a voluntary Cut, or you take, take your vacation now. Okay? I'm not firing anybody. I have to keep on. But I have a cash flow problem. Right? So I am actually, I'm not taking this area. I want every one of you to take 70% of your salaries, right? So we can be tight, we can tight over this uh, particular period because it's very difficult.
0: Is that sustainable, Professor Lau? No, well, it it depends on whether you think things are going to come back.
1: No. I think I am actually, just between us, I'm a little bit more pessimistic about Hong Kong because I think in China, things will come back. Certainly outside of Hubei, things will come.
0: And therefore, that could compound yes, the impact. Yeah, I mean, if you ask me, I mean, you know, if I worry
1: about this in Hong Kong, I would say, well, maybe I should just throw it in the tower.
0: Looking to the United States, because, of course, you lived and worked there for a number of years. You were right. one of the key professors over at Stanford University in economics. Um, you have many American friends, what yes. would you tell them now? Um, I actually think that they ought to, uh, they
1: ought to all exercise good personal hygiene practices. No shaking hands, no kissing and hugging, <laughs> no touching and feeling,
0: right? So be a, a little less friendly than you normally are? Oh, okay. I understand over in France, they've put an end or they're trying to put an end to kissing, which is part of the culture there of showing your social etiquette. Um, and people have talked about perhaps brushing your elbows or yeah. touching each other another way. But I think the irony here is that this outbreak really came into the public consciousness during Chinese New Year. And of course, one of our Chinese New York customs is to bow with our hands clasped yeah, one yeah, over the but, other. But
1: you don't touch.
0: You, see, you don't touch. The, the this this could be the new way of greeting each other internationally in a healthy way. Yeah, you know I mean? You, know, you just cup your hand and then, and you don't even have to do it pairwise. You can just do it, uh, you know, sweep round circularly and, and you're done. I think we're creating a new fashion here for happy and healthy living. But but do you know how we came up with uh, shaking hands? No.
1: Actually, it's an old custom among men. They want to shake hands to show that they don't have a sword in their hand. Ah. So it's basically saying peace.
0: (laughs) Okay. So it's a sign of openness and trust right
1: exactly and respect because you know you have a fist and then you cup your fist right and that means you're not gonna fight the sky
0: so on balance and of course we can't look into a crystal ball because there really isn't one right. as the scientists work on repurposed drugs as they work towards understanding the epidemiology so that they can create effective vaccines and as political leaders all around the world work to containing this spread with community leaders would you say that the world then is still open for business despite the fluctuations we've been frightened by
1: yeah no i should it should be it should be i think the uh Compared to the uh, tariffs, this is much more serious, right? Because tariffs, you can just say we'll take it off, right? This you can't say we'll stop it. We can't until we have a drug that is really effective.
0: Ambassador He Yafei, who of course you know as well, yeah. was Vice Foreign Minister of China, has talked about what you touched on describing disease epidemics and pandemics as what he calls non-traditional security threats and talking right. also about global governance, but global health governance as an integral part of that overall vision. I
1: think, that, I think that's not going to be easy. That's why I think the, uh, going back to this yellow booklet thing, you know, but in uh, digital forms, is really a
0: viable idea and uh, that's really the only way to avoid a long quarantine. Professor Lawrence Lau, thank you very much for sharing all your vast insights.